Hello and welcome to Simply Balanced, the podcast where we dive into, well, all things balanced. I'm your host, Taylor Grasso, a registered dietitian with a passion to helping you find your unique balanced girl aesthetic in this often hectic world. Each episode, we'll explore different facets of living a balanced life, whether it's unraveling the latest nutrition trends, discovering mindful eating strategies, or discussing tips for a balanced lifestyle that fits your routine. Balance isn't about perfection. It's about making choices that feel right for you, nurturing your body and mind, and enjoying life's simple pleasures. So whether you're sipping your morning coffee, heading out for a walk, or winding down for the evening, I'm thrilled to have you join me. So let's dive in and talk, well, all things balanced. Hello, besties, and welcome back to the Simply Balanced podcast. I am, once again, so happy that you guys are here. I am so appreciative of the messages, messages, it's a Wednesday, the messages that I have already received about positive feedback on this podcast. I'm loving doing this. It feels like basically a second therapy session for me every single week, and we are going to start bringing on some guests. I believe next month, Zach will be making an appearance on the podcast, and we're going to have some other really fun guests throughout the course of the rest of the year, but I also love doing these solo. So keep me updated on what you guys enjoy the most. But speaking of a therapy session, this podcast is going to get a little bit nitty gritty. So when I had posted on my story originally about wanting to do a podcast earlier this year, there was a resounding theme from you guys of what you wanted to hear. And a lot of it was my personal journey with orthorexia and more specifically how I actually overcame a lot of those behaviors. And I think that it's something that's super important to talk about, which is why I openly share my story on social media. It's something that's very vulnerable and something that's scary, but I know that it's reaching the women and men that it needs to be reaching. So we're going to get into the nitty gritty details of all of the things. I know that I talked a little bit about it last week on my Get to Know Me episode, but you guys are going to really get to know me on this week's episode. Before I dive headfirst into this, I do want to give a little trigger warning that, like I said, I am going to be talking about eating disorder and disordered eating behaviors. If that is something that does not serve you, that is more than okay. You do not need to listen to this podcast and future episodes will be waiting for you when you come back and when it better serves you. But Like I said, when I put that poll out on Instagram, I got a resounding message of people wanting to hear about my personal orthorexia journey and how I overcame it, I think was something that was more so what people were wanting to hear about. But I feel like in order to talk about how I overcame it and some different strategies that I utilize now and stuff that I work on with my clients, I need to kind of set the stage and tell you guys the entirety of the story because I think there are things that play into disordered eating and eating disorder behaviors that a lot of the time we don't really think about because the reality is a lot of the time it's not about your body and it's not about the food. It's about a lot of other things that are going on in your life. And in order to handle those different emotions, you're turning to what feels comfortable and what you can control, which is food, your body, and exercise. And that is very much what I was struggling with when I was struggling with orthorexia. And so I feel like I became pretty aware of my body at an early age. I can probably remember as early as like 10, 11, 12 years old. I got really sick when I was in around fifth or sixth grade and so sick to the point that like I could not exercise or move my body. I was in a lot of sports growing up. I played softball. I was not good at any sports, but I was in them. But I moved my body, right? And then when I got sick, I became extremely sedentary for around a year. And that was the first time in my life that I had ever really like 
gained weight, quote unquote, felt pudgy, felt different than my peers. And it was the first time that I really started to notice like a difference in my body as comparative to other women or girls around me. And then as I went into high school, I don't feel like anything was that bad in early high school. Like I said, I was aware of my body and I was aware that like I felt a little bit quote unquote pudgier, but I wasn't like doing any sort of restrictive behaviors at that time. And then I do want to say that like as I went into high school my sophomore year, I started dating someone and that was a very toxic relationship. And when I said that there are most definitely things that impact disordered eating or eating disorders that have nothing to do with the food and body, this is a prime example. Like the fact that I was in a relationship that was breaking down my self-esteem and breaking down my self-confidence, it most definitely did not help the situation by any means. I would say that my behaviors and habits really started to pick up around sophomore year of high school. I started to notice that like I would go to lunch and a lot of the girls that I would eat lunch with, like they would just kind of nitpick at their lunch. Nobody would really eat. People started talking more and more about eating less calories, about looking a certain way, about fitting into a certain size of jeans or whatever it was. And in that, I also started to eat less. Instead of eating like school lunch or going to the a la carte, I would bring like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and an apple and I would barely touch it. And then after that, I was going to track practice and cross country practice throughout the rest of the year and then also going and working out at the gym. And I think that as I started to work out, and this is something that you hear a lot from people too, that as I started to work out more, I started to get complimented. And you might think like, oh, that's a good thing. Like that people are complimenting you, that they're talking about your body in a positive way, yada, yada, yada. But the reality is that we don't realize that uh, even if those comments are made with good intention, like, oh, you look so good. Have you lost weight? Oh, you look so good. What are you doing? Oh, blah, blah, blah. We don't recognize a lot of the time that people might be struggling with restrictive behaviors and those comments are only fueling those restrictive behaviors and that was definitely something like for me in that scenario because I feel like I started to get coined like the fit girl the determined girl the girl that had a lot of discipline and I started to make that like my entire identity and I didn't know how to separate the fit girl from Taylor as a person. Like I just thought that if I wasn't fit, if I wasn't doing all of these things like under eating and over exercising, that then people, whether it was my boyfriend at the time or my friends or the people around me, because in high school, what you're concerned about is popularity. Like, let's be real. That's why high school fucking sucks. You're concerned about being popular. And I was concerned that if I didn't look a certain way, that my boyfriend would no longer love me, which like, I don't think he loved me anyways, but that's besides the point, that he would no longer love me, that my friends would no longer want to be friends with me, and that I would no longer be in what you would call like the popular crowd of people. Because you have to look a certain way in order to be in that group. And I felt like if I dropped those behaviors, then I wouldn't be able Able to be in that group and I would say at this time it really wasn't like that bad but as I kind of went into my junior and senior year of high school was when it got a little bit scary um, I ran cross country my senior year of high school and I kind of got addicted to running like I loved it for the sense of euphoria that you get like I am someone who truly gets runners high and I genuinely enjoy the sport but 
I got addicted to it in a very unhealthy manner in the sense that like I was going to hot yoga sculpt before I went to school in the morning and then I would go to school and then I would go to cross country practice and then I would go to the gym afterwards. That is not healthy behavior around exercise and that is running my body into the ground especially when I also was not eating a whole lot. And at this time too was I feel like when I started to be very hyper fixated on clean foods, like what is the cleanest, lowest calorie, best food that I can eat in my body. If anybody else went through this at this time, like 2015, it was like Arctic Zero ice cream, Ezekiel bread. Like I was a psychopath about the type of food that I was putting into my body. And like I was still eating out every now and then and different things like that. But for the most part, I was very, very controlling around the foods that I was eating. And something that like initially kind of scared me when it came to my disordered eating habits was my, I think it was my senior year. I can't remember if it was my junior or senior year of high school. I started to feel incredibly lightheaded at practice all the time. And now I also want to preface this by saying I need to rewind a little bit. With all of that activity and not enough calories, what happens with your body is that your reproductive system will start to shut down. Because if you can't support yourself, like with nourishment, with the right amount of exercise, if you're under that much stress, then your body is going to shut your reproductive organs down and you're going to start making less estrogen. The reason that this is an issue for women especially is because when you're making less estrogen, estrogen is not only important for reproduction, estrogen actually helps to build up your bone density and your bone, like your bones. And so if you have a lack of estrogen, you are at a much, much, much higher risk for injury, specifically things like stress fractures. You also have a lowered immunity. You can get sick a lot easier because your body is literally trying to survive. So it's prioritizing all of those functions that are absolutely necessary. So things like breathing, blood pumping through, your heart pumping. Like those are things that obviously have to happen in order for you to continue living. Reproduction doesn't have to happen in order for you to continue living. You can get sick and your body can still handle it. Like those are all in gastrointestinal, like bloating 24 seven. These are all signs of something called REDS, which is relative energy deficiency in sport. You don't have to be in a sport to experience REDS. Um, I guess it could also be called low energy availability, which basically just means there's more energy going out than energy coming in. And that's causing a cascade of metabolic events in your body that's not benefiting your body in any way, shape or form. So all of that to preface that I was experiencing a lot of sickness and a lot of injury throughout cross country season, which makes a lot of sense in retrospect. At the time, didn't make sense. And so I was taking a lot of ibuprofen in order to get through practice, in order to get through my workouts, in order to make it through things. And after a couple months of taking, I don't know, four to six ibuprofens a day, I started to feel incredibly lightheaded all the time. Like obviously I was a very, I was, I don't want to say I was a fit person because I wasn't healthy at all, but I was fit in the sense of I had low blood pressure. I had a low resting heart rate and that's because my endurance and my stamina was through the fucking roof. But like walking up a flight of stairs, I would be doubled over, unable to breathe. And I was like, something is not right. So I went to the, I just went to like my normal pediatrician at the time. And she was like, you might have asthma. Like we'll get you, we'll do some routine blood work just to see like what's going on. But like, I'm just going to prescribe you an inhaler. I was like, okay, I don't think I have asthma, but 
sounds good. And so I got prescribed that. And then about two hours later, we got a call from my doctor's office and they were like, you need to take her to the emergency room immediately. My parents were like, what's going, like, what's going on? So you have something called hemoglobin. It's basically a red blood cell that helps to carry oxygen around your body. For a female, I believe it's anywhere from like 12 to 14 is what you want it to be at in terms of like, if you get a blood test drawn, you want your hemoglobin to be somewhere in there. Mine was at a two. My iron levels and my ferritin levels, so my iron storage was basically in the ground. It was at, I don't remember, but incredibly low. For any of my like medical professionals, like a nurse that's listening, I'm sure I'm probably giving you a heart attack and I'm so sorry because we walked into the emergency room and told the front desk nurse that my hemoglobin was a two and she looked us up and down and was like, there's no way she would be dead. And my dad was like, um, her doctor just called us, told us to bring her here, so I think it is. All of that to say, they admitted me to the hospital. I had some bleeding in my intestine. They never really identified what the cause was or what it was from. Looking back now, I can almost guarantee you that it was from the ibuprofen that I was taking and the copious amounts of ibuprofen that I was taking on a nearly empty stomach. And obviously that at the time, like I said, I didn't really connect those dots. So I wasn't really blaming my behaviors on that. But then I can remember shortly after that, I was at the library in my high school and they had like magazines at our library and there was an article on orthorexia because orthorexia wasn't even classified as an eating disorder until pretty recently. But there was an article on it and I read it and I was like, that sounds eerily familiar. Like that sounds like how my brain functions. And I can remember showing it to that said toxic boyfriend at the time and being like, hey, do you think this sounds like me? And he of course didn't care and was like, no, I, I, it's, you're fine, like whatever. Um, but that should have been my first red flag that clearly the behaviors that I was partaking in were not beneficial or healthy for me. But alas, I continued <laughs> into college and I actually, I've said this before and I'll say it again, I went into dietetics for very disordered reasons. I went into dietetics with the assumption that, oh, I'm going to make meal plans for everybody that I know and I'm going to help people lose weight and I'm going to help people be fit like me. Like that was my exact thought process, which I recognize how disordered that is and how messed up that is. And I also recognize that like at this time too, like I was posting regularly on like an Instagram page. And a lot of that was to purely get validation that what I was doing was not bad. Like that's really what I wanted, but instead I was getting the validation that what I was doing was good in the sense that like people were calling me once again, the fit girl, you're so disciplined, you love to work out, you always eat healthy, like all of these different things. As I went into college, I got a little bit more lenient. Um, I would say like my freshman and sophomore year. However, I was very sheltered my freshman and sophomore year. A lot of that had to do with the toxic relationship I was in. It was very manipulative. It was a very bad situation where I didn't go out very often. I went home a lot. I was just not really in that great of a headspace and like I can remember freshman year, like everybody goes to the dining halls and eats like a normal freshman. I had like my mini fridge stocked with random ingredients that were on my safe and approved list and would eat my little meals in my room and like not endorsing drinking by any means because obviously now I'm sober curious and it's not something that I love to do. But like I really didn't allow myself to drink a lot freshman and sophomore year because calories were in alcohol and sugar and all of those different types of things as well. 
And then finally junior year, I got out of that relationship, but jumped into another relationship. And I'll do a whole podcast episode at some point on like my relationship dynamic because I really want Zach on a podcast episode for that. But I jumped directly into another relationship, which was definitely not something that was beneficial for me. And that relationship broke me to pieces. Um, It was probably one of the lowest points of my life when that relationship ended. And I think a lot of that had to do with the previous relationship that I had was one where, like I said, I was torn down constantly. And so jumping into this new relationship where for the first time in my life, someone was nice to me. That sounds so bad. Oh my God, you guys are going to think I'm crazy. Um, But anyways, jumping into a relationship where someone like built me up and helped with my self-esteem and was encouraging me to do all of these things that I wanted to do. That was the first time in my life that I had experienced that type of relationship. And I think that that's why that one hurt so much more than the other one. And I say all of that not to like get into the weeds of relationships, but like I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, I think there's a lot of times where disordered eating and eating disorders have nothing to do with eating and your body itself. It has to do with what's going on around you because I had gotten a lot more lenient with a lot of my behaviors. But when I tell you that everything fell to pieces after that relationship in terms of my body image, in terms of food, in terms of exercise, it was absolutely awful. It was probably one of the lowest points of my life. And at that time, I signed up for a marathon. So I was training for a marathon. I was probably eating less than a thousand calories per day. When I tell you I was training for a marathon, that means I was overtraining. I was running anywhere from 45 to 50 miles a week. And on top of that, I was doing strength training every single day. I was never taking rest days. Like I got to that marathon and the doctor, like I was working with a chiropractor because I was so fucking injured the whole time, which makes a lot of sense. But he was like, I don't think you should do this. Like, I really don't think it's beneficial for your body to do this. And I looked at him and I was like, I've trained for this for weeks. Like, I'm not going to not do the damn thing. So I did it. And it was absolutely fucking terrible. I was sick the entire day before. I felt absolutely awful throughout most of the race. My time was horrible and I had to walk. I wanted to quit. There was so many components to that race that I wanted it to be this big accomplishment. Like, don't get me wrong. I crossed the finish line of 26.2. I'm not trying to disregard that, but Where I was at mentally and physically was not a healthy place and I was not benefiting my body in any way, shape, or form. And I think that completing that race was really one of the biggest like aha moments of what you're doing is not working. Like everything that you're doing is tearing your body down and your body is giving you every fucking signal that it needs a break. And... At this time as well, so this was probably like nine or so months after I said that breakup happened. And so I, after that race, Zach and I had also recently kind of started talking and reconnecting again. And I said this in the first episode too, I give a lot of credit to Zach for helping me learn to love myself in a much healthier way. But I also don't want to disregard the inner work that I've had to do either. But I do 
want to emphasize the relationships in your life do impact the way in which you feel about yourself and the way in which you feel about your body. And that was very apparent when Zach and I started dating. And I will say when Zach and I first started dating, I was still very disordered with my eating habits especially. I recently posted a video about this as well and I'll definitely dive into this a little bit more when we do our Sober Curiosity episode. But I can remember a lot of like the initial months of Zach and I dating. Zach really liked to party at that time and this was kind of the first time that I had ever like had the freedom I get, like granted myself the freedom to do that. And I feel like I also utilized alcohol as somewhat of a coping mechanism. Like because I was so uncomfortable around food and because I was so fearful of food, like I would get drunk and then my inhibitions would lower and then I would just eat. Like I would eat pizza and I would eat cookies and I would eat whatever Zach had or bought or we got in Iowa City. Like I would eat it all. And that's because once my inhibitions were lowered, I wasn't scared of food anymore. And my body was starving. And so when I actually gave myself that permission to eat, that was when it then really kicked in and I just couldn't stop with the carbohydrates. And if you watch my TikToks, you might have seen a video that I recently posted, but I shared a photo of myself from that time. And it has nothing to do with my weight, shape, or size, but I showed the pure inflammation in my face during that time period where like, I was eating the least amount I've ever ate and working out the most I've ever worked out and I was the most inflamed, unhealthy, and stressed I've ever been. And I think that's a direct representation that it's not about, it's not about weight, shape, or size. That's not what health equates to. Health equates to your metabolic health. Like is your body properly functioning or is it screaming at you that you are doing things that is hurting it? Like, having an active menstrual cycle, going poop every single day, having hair on your head, not being cold all of the time, being able to digest your food. Those are all signs that your metabolism and your body are functioning optimally. My body was doing none of that. When I tell you I looked six months pregnant after everything I ate, I looked six months pregnant after every single thing I ate because I was so bloated and so uncomfortable because my digestive tract was just not functioning anymore because my body had no energy. So it was prioritizing those other functions within my body like breathing and my heart beating. It wasn't prioritizing my digestion, which meant that my digestion was slowing down. I was constantly constipated. I was bloated. I was uncomfortable. All of the things. Fast forward to probably 2021, I would say the end of 2020, early into 2021 was when I finally started to really heal my relationship with food and exercise. 2020, I would say that I was on my way there in the sense of I definitely let go of my exercise a little bit, but the pandemic heightened a lot of kind of my control mechanisms because I think that's a really big thing that people discount with disordered eating or eating disorders is that it's a control mechanism. Like when other components of your life feel out of control, 
it feels comfortable to turn to those behaviors that you know. And for me, those behaviors were restricting my food and over-exercising. And so once we moved to Colorado is really when I feel like there was a big shift in how I view my body and how I view food and how I view nutrition. Like I said, after that marathon and like meeting Zach, I feel like it slowly got better, but I don't think that I really took it seriously until around 2020 or 2021 because I was understanding that just diets don't work. Restriction doesn't work. The more I restrict, the more I want whatever I'm restricting, whether that's carbs or sweets or desserts or whatever it is, like the more I restrict it, the more I wanted it. And the more that I had, and then when I allowed myself that access to it, I would binge on it. I would overconsume it. I would overeat it. And then I would feel bloated, uncomfortable, and stuffed. And recognizing that I can have permission to eat all food. That's not saying like, I know that intuitive eating dietitians always say there's no good or bad foods morally, and there's not. There's no good or bad foods. I say this to my clients all the time, but if you eat a kale salad and punch someone in the face, you're still a bad person. So like food doesn't make you morally good or morally bad. But we can recognize that, yes, there are foods that are more nutritionally dense. Like I'm not getting on here saying that a donut is more nutritionally dense than a piece of broccoli. But can both coexist in your diet? Yes, they can. And the reason that a lot of people don't feel like they can coexist in their diet is purely because they're restricting the donut. And so you feel like you have access to broccoli all the time because it's something that you've deemed in your head as good. It's something that you've deemed like, oh, okay, I'm allowed to have this. So it doesn't feel special and it doesn't feel exciting because it's something that you're allowed to have. Now, when it comes to like the donut, because you've deemed that bad in your head, when you actually give yourself the access or the permission to eat the donut, you're like, this is so special. Like, this is so exciting. Like, I never get to have a donut. And then your brain is also like, well, I don't get to have a donut very often. Like, maybe I should have two donuts. Because if I have two donuts now, I don't know the next time I'm going to get a donut. So like, I should probably just have two now. And the reality is sometimes you end up eating two or three or four of the donut or the pizza or the cookie or whatever that food is for you. And then you end up feeling stuffed and uncomfortable. And then you're like, oh, I just can't eat those foods. They don't make me feel good. It's not that the food doesn't make you feel good. It's that your mind doesn't make you feel good because you have bad associated with that food. And it doesn't make you feel good because you're consuming it in a portion that's not benefiting your body. And this has nothing to do with portion control. This has to do with understanding how food actually makes you feel and how much your mentality around food shifts how food makes you feel. And I think that this is one of the very first components of overcoming orthorexia, is starting to recognize and give yourself permission to enjoy all food. Because the reality is you can have a cookie today, tomorrow, and the next day. And everybody always says to me, this is the first thing when I say uncontrollable, unconditional permission to eat. They're like, if you give me unconditional permission to eat, then I'm going to eat cookies, cakes, and donuts, and pizza for every single meal, every single day. And my response to them is, okay, I want you to do that. And then they look at me funny. And I'm like, no, seriously, I want you to do that. And then I want you to tell me how you feel on day five of consuming those foods like that. I want you to tell me if you feel energetic. I want you to tell me if you feel clear-headed. I want you to tell me if you feel mentally and physically good. I want you to tell me if you feel good during your workouts. I want you to tell me if you're sleeping well. I want you to recognize all of these different things because it's not a matter of these foods are bad for us. And it's not a matter of we shouldn't be having them. 
It's a matter of the fact that we are restricting them in our brains, which is then causing us to overconsume or overindulge in them when we actually give ourselves the permission to have them. I recently listened to a podcast episode um, from Cameron Rogers where she was interviewing another intuitive eating dietitian. She was talking about her toddler where she was like, I've heard that with intuitive eating, like you should serve dessert with their dinner, but like he's always going to choose the brownie. How do I eliminate him choosing the brownie if I want him to have a positive relationship with food? And the dietitian goes, just do it. You'll be shocked the day he chooses broccoli first. And she just posted a video or an Instagram TikTok the other day. I can't remember what it was. She posted that like he chose the broccoli before the brownie. And that's a direct example that we do not lose our instinct with our hunger and fullness cues. Instead, we reject it. We reject it because we're too busy following a calorie plan or a meal plan or a macro plan. So when we get hungry, we say, oh, chew some gum, drink some water, ignore that hunger cue, ignore that fullness or satisfaction cue because I'm gonna eat until I'm overstuffed because I never get access to this and I never have this. And then that's what gets us so out of touch with those hunger and fullness cues. And that's why intuitive eating feels so fucking scary because we have not been able to trust our own bodies for a lot. I'm literally getting goosebumps talking about this. I don't know why. Like clearly, obviously this still like hits an emotional side of me. I told you this is like therapy for me. But all of that to say, like there is that component where when you finally let go of that and you give yourself that permission to have a cookie every day, you get you expose yourself to that food. That's another tip expose yourself to the fear foods. I know that's scary and I know it's terrifying, but the more exposure you have, the more, the easier it's going to get over time to be around that food and not feel like you're controlled by that food. Because the more exposure you have, the less exciting it becomes, the less special it becomes. It falls off that hierarchy. Because like I said, when you have like broccoli or chicken, for example, you eat those foods all the time. So they're not exciting and they're not special. But like, have you ever gone on a vacation where you gave yourself permission to eat whatever you wanted and you enjoyed all of the delicious yummy food, but then you come back and you're like, holy shit, I want a leaf. Like I want a salad right now. That's proof right there that you can trust that your body is going to tell you what it needs if you give yourself the permission to trust it. That is the biggest component when it comes to intuitive eating. And I know that I'm making this sound somewhat easy in a sense, but This has taken me four years. We do a family baking cookie day every single year. And for the last probably six or seven years of my life, it's been something that's very triggering and very scary for me because I always overconsume and I always overindulge. This was the first year since college that I felt at complete peace. So when I tell you that this is not a linear journey, that it's not a fast journey, that it takes time to shift your perspective, I'm being serious in the sense that it takes a lot of time and I'm not like pitching myself right now, but it does help to work with a coach as well. Like if you are someone who is struggling with this, it doesn't have to be me. What I'm encouraging you to do is simply ask someone in your life for support and help because that support and that accountability and that reassurance is going to be helpful because you have been validated your entire like dieting journey through the green numbers on MyFitnessPal or the zeros at the end of, you know, whatever it is, the Weight Watchers points matching up exactly, the scale number saying what you want it to. 
there's always been that external validation. And so when you take on this journey where you have to start internally validating yourself, having someone in your corner who's there to support you and remind you of all of these things and that what you are doing is the most beneficial thing that you can do for your body to heal your relationship with food and exercise. When you have someone in your corner to tell you that, then you're doing something really good for yourself, both mentally and physically. And then I know that I've kind of gone all over the place in terms of like kind of how I overcame it and kind of just diving into the weeds of intuitive eating a little bit, but I think that's necessary when talking about a topic like of this caliber with this amount of heaviness. But I did take notes this time, you guys. I'm really proud of myself. I actually followed them too. Look at me. Um, Last time I just kind of freeballed it. I do a lot better without scripts. Like I'm just a person who can talk to a wall. You could ask my therapist and my husband and my mom. But I did want to give some like tangible action items that can kind of help you start to work through your relationship with food, body image, all of those different types of things. So number one is a social media clean out. I don't care who you are, doing a social media clean out is going to benefit you. We consume so much fucking content all the time. TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, like literally everywhere we are consuming content. And the more you consume diet culture, the more the algorithm is going to show you diet culture. If there is anyone on your feed who makes you feel inferior, who makes you feel bad about your body, your food choices, your exercise, unfollow or mute unfollow or mute immediately, I can almost guarantee you that it's you're going to feel a shift immediately. It makes such a difference and start following people that have a more positive mindset. Some of my favorite follows, I love Victoria Brown. I love Cameron Rogers. I love, um, oh gosh, I can't remember her name on TikTok. I'll put some people in the show notes that you guys could follow on there as well that are some of my favorite follows, but follow people who make you feel good about yourself. And then number two is identifying your triggers. So for me specifically, my triggers are stress, hormones, and then other components of my life feeling out of control. So hormones, my luteal phase and my menstrual phase, so like when I'm going into my cycle, when my PMS phase is going on, I definitely feel a very heightened sense of like body image awareness, more depression, not just feeling good about myself in general and being harder on myself when it comes to nutrition and fitness. And so I recognize that in myself, but I acknowledge it and don't act on it. That is the biggest advice that I can give when you're going through this journey is that you are valid in any feeling that you have And it's important to acknowledge that that feeling is there. Oftentimes I'll speak them verbally to Zach. I'll tell him how I'm feeling and that that helps for sure. But then I have other tools in my toolbox that I turn to when those triggers are high that is not over exercising or under eating. So like for me, it's wearing baggy clothing and avoiding mirror checks. It just feels better to me to have baggy clothes on when I'm self-conscious and Watching my favorite comfort show, I will binge watch friends all damn day, any day, but especially when I'm having a bad body image day, it just gives me the warm cozy fuzzies and it makes me feel good. I love to color or paint and be creative. Those help to get my mind off of it. I love to go for a walk and not in the sense of like 
forcing my body to move, but because it really does kind of clear my mind and I love being outside with my dogs. Call my mom, call a friend, call Zach, call anybody who I just need to talk to to get some of it out there. And then obviously like therapy has been a huge help in this arena as well. And then I don't know if I'm on two or three, I forgot. But realizing that living in a smaller body wasn't solving the problem. It was actually making it worse. So when I think about when I lived in a smaller body, like I said, I was more inflamed and stressed out in my smaller body than I am now in a larger body than what I was in previously. And I have never lived in a societally large body, so I cannot speak from that perspective. But for me, when I lived in a smaller body, it did not solve the problem. Like it did not make me happier. It did not create more friendships. It did not improve my relationships. It did not give me any of the validation or satisfaction and it just kept me chasing a lower number and doing more restrictive behaviors that weren't benefiting any of those things that I value. My relationships, my friendships, like I lost a lot of friends during that time when I was struggling and obviously like relationships fell apart. There were a lot of things that I lost because of my eating disorder and so when I start to recognize those things that living in the smaller body did not get me what I wanted, then I'm able to pull myself back into reality and remind myself that those restrictive behaviors are not worth it. Understanding, oh, I already mentioned this one, but understanding the difference between acknowledgement and action, acknowledging and validating your feelings, but understanding that you don't have to act on them. Learning how to create self-confidence and internal validation. I think this is incredibly huge and something that I work on with a lot of my clients and something that can be really helpful here is removing that identity piece. So like I said, I identified as like the fit, healthy, whatever you want to call it girl. And so my entire identity lied on how I worked out and how I ate. And then now being able to recognize that like I'm a wife, I'm a dog mom, I'm a daughter, I'm a dietitian to my clients, I'm a, you know, hopefully somewhat of an inspiration on TikTok and Instagram and like a content creator. Like there are so many facets to who I am as a person that have nothing to do with exercise and nutrition. So identifying those components of yourself that you are proud of and start to affirm those within yourself. I'm all for positive affirmations, but the reality is I think a lot of the times we're like, oh, you just have to do body positive affirmations. But when you feel like shit about your body, Telling yourself that like, oh, I love my body today. I don't think that that helps. And so instead being able to understand that you don't have to tear your body down, but you also don't have to love it every single day. Being able to be neutral in your body. Like I don't have to rip you apart, but I don't have to love you today. And that's okay. But even if I'm just neutral in you today, I appreciate you for what you can do in the sense of my body can move well. My body allows me to walk my dogs. My brain allows me to create content and talk to my clients. All of these different things that I can appreciate my body and who I am as a person without having to correlate it to my aesthetics or how I look. That is how I really started to build self-confidence and understand that my external appearance didn't directly correlate to what my confidence needed to be. And then Last but not least, I don't know that this is really a tip, I guess, but I did include it on here, was weight stability with intuitive eating. So 
a big, big, big thing is a lot of people are dieting to lose weight, which ends up causing your weight to constantly yo-yo because your metabolism is constantly out of whack because your body has no idea what to expect. And when you're intuitively eating and you actually start to understand what your body wants and what your body needs, you end up just eating what you need. And your body just kind of stays stable in a metabolically happy place. The unfortunate thing is I think for a lot of us, our metabolically happy place is not where we ideally like to be or the exact number that we want. But that's why I just recommend to throw out the goddamn scale. The scale means literally nothing. Throw it out. That's actually my last tip. Throw out your scale. I don't want you to use it anymore. Just get rid of it. It's not doing anything positive for you. Did you know on your period, you can gain anywhere from like five to seven pounds, like just while you're menstruating. You eat more salt, you can gain some weight. You eat some more carbs, you can gain some weight. And no, that's not because carbs are bad for you. Carbs hold on to more water. So if you eat more carbs than normal, your body might hold some more water. And that that's why the scale might jump up close to your cycle or during your cycle or, you know, if you eat more carbs, whatever you want to do. So just get rid of your scale because it doesn't define you. A number doesn't define you, your size or your worth. So just get rid of it. But I think that's the end. <laughs> That was a lot and I hope you all don't think I'm crazy after this podcast, but I feel like it's important to share this story and share a lot of these things because I think it's a lot of, I think a lot of women struggle with it and I want to be vulnerable in the sense that I am able to talk about it and am able to help other women realize that you don't have to live a life like this. You don't have to live a life consumed by food. You can get your life back and you can heal your relationship with food and exercise. And whether that's working with me directly or whether that's following my content or whether that's working with someone else or following someone else's content who benefits you mentally and physically, I just want you to get to the place where you're able to respect who you are as a person, you're able to feel more confident in yourself, and you feel like you have a better relationship with food and exercise. So that was all the things on orthorexia, and I really hope that this was helpful. And I'm very excited for upcoming episodes because we're gonna dive a little bit into sober curiosity. We're gonna talk about running a business together. That's gonna be a Zach and I episode. And then if you guys have other ideas for episodes, please DM me because I have a lot of ideas planned for the year, but I obviously want to create what you guys want to hear. So I hope you guys love this one and thank you for following along. I love you all. And that brings us to the end of today's episode of Simply Balanced. Thank you so much for tuning in and sharing a part of your day with me. I hope you found inspiration in our discussion and feel more equipped to embrace balance in your daily life. Remember, balance is a journey, not a destination. It's about finding what works for you in your own unique way. As we part ways, I encourage you to reflect on one thing you learned today that you can incorporate into your life. Don't forget to subscribe to Simply Balance so you never miss an episode. If you enjoyed our time together, consider leaving a review or sharing the podcast with a friend. Your support means the world. Until next time, keep striving for balance, nourish your body and mind, and remember to cherish life's simple pleasures. This is Taylor Grosso signing off. Stay balanced and see you next episode.